Welcome to 24-Hour Expert. You'll enjoy this podcast if you're someone who likes learning about different topics or just enjoys a good old fun fact. I'm Allie. And I'm Dan. Each week, we challenge each other to become an expert on a random topic in just 24 hours. Now it's time to find out how much we've learned. All right. Hey, Allie. Hi, Daniel. How was your Memorial Day vacation? It was good. I was actually on vacation, came home Saturday, and then Sunday got to spend some time with friends. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. How about you? Oh, it was a great time. As you know, we traveled and first time traveling in a really long time. So it was a little surreal, but we got to see a lot of friends and overall it was just such a great weekend. I know. I'm so excited. I'm so excited that I'm going to get to see you. Well, when people hear this, I'll seen you. You have already seen me. It would have already yes. happened. Yeah. So I was actually, it's kind of funny because this topic, because I had done my research before vacation, I talked about it a lot to a lot of people over the weekend. <laughs> and I was like, did you know, blah, 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 because it was coming up. This topic is actually, let's just say it was in the news a lot. And I don't know if it's still in the news, but it was in the news when, when I was researching it. Yeah. Actually, my boss keeps bringing this topic up. So, you know, I already have to hear about it a lot, but yeah, yeah, to hear about it in the real world, it's, yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. So for those of you that didn't read the episode title, we are talking about cryptocurrency this week. Yeah, I still don't get it at all. I'm hoping by the end of this, you'll get it, but you might not. And that's on me. We'll see how good of an expert you are. I was a little nervous about this topic because I feel like this is maybe one of the first things that our listeners might actually know about. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about it like that. This is, you know, it's like pretty low effort, low risk, I would say, if we're talking about serial mascots or like Buffalo Bill. I don't think we have a lot of people out there that know a lot about those topics. Right. But this is one where like people are like, actually, so we might actually get some emails this time. Yeah. Also, I would say this is one of those topics that I've had people explain to me before. And it's like, you know, Charlie Brown. The teachers and the adults. Womp, womp, yes, womp, yes. Womp, 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 womp. <laughs> like I've had some very intelligent, very like good explainers explain this stuff to me. And I still at the end of it was like, I, I have no idea what it is. Oh, so I mean, you know that my husband is very knowledgeable about this and he's explained it to me multiple times and I still just kind of get it. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to have him proofread this episode. <laughs> So let's start with the basics. What is cryptocurrency? What I think it is. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> oh, I mean, okay. I have the answer, but what do you think it is? So I know like for Bitcoin, and I know there's a million different cryptocurrencies, but for Bitcoin, I know you mine the coins. And when you get to a very specific number, then you have the coin and there's a limited number. But basically, overall, I think cryptocurrency is... It's like the idea of having something. It's like similar to cash, where I have this and I'm going to exchange it for what I want. Right. Yes. And that's, that is, we're going to get to that mining later. But when it comes to crypto, simply stated, it's a new form of digital money. Perfect. Sounds easy enough. Yeah. So far. So far. Okay. I'm with you. I understand that. <laughs> yeah. So here's a fun fact your normal government backed currency, like the US dollar, it has to go by this fancy name called fiat currency now that there's cryptocurrency. Fiat is described as a legal tender like coins and banknotes that have value only because the government says so. Right, which I have a question for you, not to get on too much of a tangent this early. I remember the moment in time 
when my dad explained to me that money has no actual value, like the piece of paper has no value, except for we all agree as a society that it does. And that was just so mind blowing to me. Right. Did you ever have like that moment where you're like, oh my gosh, this is all basically useless. Right. Yeah. At any point, at any time, money could just cease to have value. Crazy. That was one of the things that had come up in research when I was even researching cryptocurrency. And it kind of was going down the, the whole history of money and how money is really only valuable if people think it's valuable. Yeah. It's just a less complicated way of being like, Dan, you have two chickens and I have four cows. I'll take five of your chickens. You can have a cow. Right. I also, and I guess if we're on the tangent, we can stay on the tangent. But I also think it's so funny that I can't tell you the last time I've ever been to a bank. My paycheck goes direct deposited into my account. I pay all my bills electronically. I almost never have cash. So it's even it's even weird to think that all of this money is just floating around digitally. And I never actually hold on to money. Yeah, I if my dad is listening, I always have cash on me. <laughs> but I can't tell you the last time I was inside a bank. I do go to the ATM. But yeah, I've, I can't tell you the last time I've been in a bank. But I always have cash on me. It's one of Chip's rules. Chip's rules. You have to have cash on you. Love it. I've heard a couple of Chip's rules in my lifetime. And every chip rule has been a good rule. I think so. I mean, I follow most of them. I also appreciate that you called it an ATM and not an ATM machine. That's like a straight to the pet peeve for me. Who does that? A lot of people. A lot of people call it an ATM machine. Isn't that redundant though? Because it's an automatic teller machine? Mm Mm-hmm. It is. It is redundant. Yes. (laughs) All right. So why should we care about crypto? Like, why does it even exist? So the whole idea for cryptocurrency is they're trying to solve a handful of problems within our current banking system. So I'm going to tell you some of the problems and I want to tell you how crypto aims to resolve those. Okay. Oh, yeah, that actually sounds really interesting. So payment systems like credit cards and wire transfers are actually outdated. The technology has been around for a really long time and it hasn't really kept pace with technology as a whole. Middlemen like banks and brokers take a cut in the process, which makes transactions expensive and slow. So instead of being able to just pay each other, we have to use a card where that goes to maybe Chase Bank and then Chase Bank talks to Wells Fargo and Wells Fargo talks to so-and-so. And that whole transaction can be really expensive and they're adding fees and taking cuts all along the way. I've heard of that. Yeah, because I know sometimes small, like independent, especially like local merchants, sometimes they won't take credit card because the fee's too high on their end to make it worthwhile if it's, you know, something that's $5 or less. Right. And that's actually, I feel like that's gotten worse because a lot of the rewards credit cards can charge, there's extra merchant fees to help cover for those rewards, where you as the person, you're thinking, well, I don't really care. I'm getting my 1% cash back. But the person you're buying from, it's eating into their profit margin. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. The third problem that the cryptocurrency tries to solve is that financial inequality is growing around the globe. I think that's something we see here in the United States, but also all over the world. And then last but not least, this actually blew my mind. About 3 billion, that's billion with a B, people on the planet are either unbanked or underbanked. And that means that there's about 3 billion people that don't have any access to financial services. What? Right. So that's about half of the planet's population. That is a huge number. Right. So crypto wants to solve these problems. I would love to know how they're going to solve those problems. So the main way that they solve this problem or they attempt to is by completely getting away with having any reliance on banks or middlemen or middle people. So the whole idea of cryptocurrency is that you and I can exchange funds 
we can pay each other without having anybody else involved. So you're not using these outdated transaction systems like with a credit card. You're not using middlemen and brokers who add fees and add time and processing. Because there's people who don't have access to banks, just because they don't have access to the bank doesn't mean they can't have access to cryptocurrency. The whole idea of giving people more power with how they spend their money and how you you exchange funds can mean that you can put better financial quality back into the system. Okay, I get that. So, and I don't know if you're ready for this question, but my next question would be, so what kind of technology do you need to be able to use crypto? If we're going to help people who aren't involved in traditional banking, do they need just like a cell phone? Is it fairly easy? So that's a great question. And I I wonder if, you know, most of it's all through technology. So through cell phones, through computers, the idea is it should be pretty easy for anybody to access crypto. I think one of the challenges is, is still based on like when you look up Bitcoin, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, it's the price is still kind of talked about in terms of US dollars. So you have to have had Mm -hmm. US dollars to buy into the currency, just like anything else. But these cryptocurrencies also have ways to earn the money or earn the currency without actually having any money to transfer into it, which is really interesting. That is really interesting. Which we'll talk about. Okay. But first, let's talk about the very first cryptocurrency. And I'm sure you can guess what it was. Bitcoin. Yes, Bitcoin. So believe it or not, Bitcoin has only been around since 2008. What? It's not that old. Okay. It's like the year my sister graduated from high school. And to be clear, there were many attempts at creating digital currencies before Bitcoin, but Bitcoin was the first successful attempt. And Bitcoin was the only cryptocurrency on the market until 2011. Wow. So it had a little solo run there. Right. Now there are more than 1,600 different cryptocurrencies. Wow. So I would like to play a game. Okay. I love games. And you know I love to make up a game. So I'm going to tell you the name of a cryptocurrency, or maybe not. You're going to tell me, is it a real currency that you can buy, or is it something I just made up? Okay. Are you ready? Ready. First one, number one, Dogecoin. Real. That is real. Yes. So that one's been in the news a lot lately. That is based on the Doge internet meme. I don't know if I'd have to see it. I don't know off the top of my head what the Doge internet meme is. Are you ready for number two? I'm ready. Number two is Titcoin. I'm going to say real just because I don't think that you'd make up Titcoin. It's real. Yes. (laughs) So Titcoin, it's the first cryptocurrency to be nominated for a major adult industry award. Oh, okay. Isn't that fun? Yes. Okay. Number three, Kodak coin. Mm, Fake. No, it's real. Okay. So it's named after like Kodak cameras and Kodak film. Do you remember them? Yeah. All right. Number four, pot coin. That has to be real. It is real. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of marijuana themed cryptocurrencies. There's pot coin. There's Kush coin. There's bonger. There's ganja coin pro and cannabis coin. Oh, ganja coin pro. That just sounds fancy. (laughs) Doesn't it? Sounds so fancy. Okay, two more. Second to last one, garlic coin. That's fake. It's real. What? I thought you were making it up because that's the restaurant we like in Florida. No, no. Uh, Do you like garlic bread? Do you love cryptocurrencies? Well, you're in luck with garlic coin. Okay, I'm on board. Okay, last one. Rocket. (laughs) Is that, that has to be real. I don't think you'd make that up. (laughs) It's real. They're all real. These are all real. Oh my gosh. So yeah, all those are real. I had a really fun time. There's a big list of them. There's a lot of funny ones. So some of these like Dogecoin, it's a meme coin. Mm-hmm. Like it's just kind of fake. They also had the, what was it called? Piper coin from Silicon Valley HBO show. I don't know what that is. No, oh, 
there's a lot of there's a lot of fun ones. So those were the ones that I liked the most. And when I saw garlic coin, I was like, I have to put this on the list. Yes, because I thought you were for sure made that one up. Alas, it is real. Well, we obviously need it, and then we need to go celebrate at the garlic. Yeah, you know what? We should actually try to buy some garlic coin. We should. So that was a fun little game, but let's get back to talking about the real stuff, okay? Let's get back to it. So the whole idea of these cryptocurrencies is that it runs on something called a blockchain. Right. I recognize that word. So to know what a blockchain is, you kind of have to go down a path, a long, long path, but I'm going to try to summarize it for you. So a blockchain, put simply, is just a specific type of database. Oh, yeah. Just a way to easy enough. Yeah, it's just a way to store data. So blockchain technology was first outlined in 1991 by a man named Stuart Haber and another person named W. Scott Stornetta. They were two researchers who wanted to implement a system where you could document timestamps that could not be tampered with. So they created this idea of blockchain. And believe it or not, Bitcoin was the first practical application that was used to implement blockchain. Okay, why did they originally, like, why timestamps? I actually don't know, but they just wanted to be able to put timestamps in order in a way that nobody could ever alter them. Hmm, okay. So they created blockchain. There you go. So this sounds a little too simplified, but I read this in multiple areas, so it has to be true. Blockchain stores data in blocks, and then these blocks are then chained together. I mean, it makes sense. I guess. So the whole idea is that the data comes in and the data is added to this block. It's like a block of data. And then once that block is full of data and it can't accept anymore, then it gets chained onto the previous block and then a new block is started. Okay. And it does this chaining in chronological order. So this there's a full history of all the different transactions or all the different data that's going in. It doesn't have to be transactions. That just happens to be with Bitcoin. And for a lot of cryptocurrency, it's a ledger of transactions. But it's just a way to be able to store data in these blocks and then kind of put them, hook them together to create a full history and a full picture of everything that's happened. Oh, okay. I mean, that makes sense. With me so far? So far, yes. So the thing that makes Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies interesting is that no single person has control over the database. That is interesting. So like I bank with Chase, all of Chase's data and all of their transactions and everything is owned by Chase. Mm-hmm. They own the servers or the databases or whatever in some server farm or who knows, probably a hundred of them. Right. But they they have sole control over my data. In Bitcoin and other decentralized blockchains, the data is stored over multiple computers and multiple servers and, and all over the all over the world, essentially, which means no one person has any ownership control over the entire set of data. Why is this important? You may wonder. I hope you tell me because I don't know. Why this is important is that basically it kind of helps with the whole idea of getting rid of the middle person. So nobody has control over it, but it also helps with integrity over the system. So I might hold the same transactions that you hold, I have them on my computer and I have them on your computer. And if I try to alter anything on my computer and saying, oh, Allie didn't pay me $10, she paid me $10,000, I would try to log that in my database. And then when that database tries to go validate that transaction to say I actually had $10,000, not 10, there'd be numerous other databases being like, uh-uh, no, that's wrong because we have the exact copy of that data and that's not what the data says. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. 
Yeah. So it's kind of secure like that. And not to get into too far of a detail here, but for someone to be able to alter the record, remember, it's really good about making sure that all the records stay in order Mm -hmm. and everything's correct. You have to alter at least 51% of the databases. So you have to get 51% of all the different databases to agree to kind of trick them into thinking, oh yeah, Ali did give me $10,000. But if you think about Bitcoin and there's, I don't know, millions, billions, who knows, however many databases out there, you have to be able to trick at least half of them to get them to like actually accept that transaction is true. So it's virtually impossible and financially just not even feasible for anybody to alter the Bitcoin record on the blockchain. Yeah, that sounds way too complicated. So it's super secure, which is kind of cool. And I didn't I didn't mention this, but those are called nodes. So like you would hold data on a node and then I would hold data on a node. And then all the nodes are talking to each other to make sure that everybody's nodes match up and all the data matches up. Okay. So if you own any type of cryptocurrency, then you automatically have nodes then? I don't think so. I think the nodes are only storing the transactions. Okay. So like uh, your transaction would be stored on a node, but you personally don't actively store nodes unless you're into what we're going to get into in a little bit, which is mining. Okay. Okay. But I could be wrong on that. Helpful listener, please reach out. The last thing I'll say about these decentralized blockchains is that they are immutable. And I think that's basically what I've been saying this entire time. But once the data is entered, it's totally irreversible. There is an entire history from day one of Bitcoin up until today, up until right now, of every single Bitcoin transaction that has ever happened, which I just think is crazy. That is crazy. Earlier, you brought up mining. Yes. Should we talk about mining? Let's talk about it. Mining is kind of like being an auditor. Okay. So what you're doing when you're mining is essentially once one of those blocks is completed, there are people, miners, and it's not really people, it's really computers that are doing this, but you know what I mean, who are in charge charge of validating the block. So basically, they're out there making sure that the transactions that are in that blockchain are all accurate. How do you make sure they're accurate? So this is where it gets a little too nerdy for me. But let's just say there's like a special code. Okay. And all of these different miners are trying to figure out what that code is. And you're trying to get it quicker than any other miner out there. Okay. So all these computers are working out, they're crunching all these numbers, and they're doing all these algorithms, or who knows what they're doing. But there's like a special code. And then the first person to get as close to the code as possible, but not go over, it's like price is right. Basically, they are this successful miner. And then you get... You get paid for it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So right now, for every block of data, which is, it says about one megabyte, which said it could be anywhere from one transaction, which is super rare, to thousands of transactions could be in a single block of data. But if you're a miner, and if you were the first person to do it, and the first person get the right answer, then you get 6.25 bitcoins. Okay, follow up question. Why do we have miners? Why are they mining? I mean, besides that they get Bitcoin, I get that. But what's the purpose of mining the blocks? From what I understand, the miners are in charge of validating all those transactions. So like we talked about before, those nodes, making sure that nobody's trying to hack the system and nobody's trying to fake things. Like these miners are are basically certifying, saying this block of transactions actually happened. They're good. We can complete the block. We can attach it to the chain and then we can move on. Yeah, see, this is where it gets real great for me. I don't, I get that they're validating, but then they're just trying to get 
it closest to the numbers? Yeah, it was the numbers are very confusing. I feel like if I add more detail, it's just going to get I didn't understand the numbers. It's like a 26 hexadecimal code. You have to get close to it without going over. I, I didn't understand that part. But that validates the block then somehow. Yeah. I don't. This is where it's so confusing. I get in general what's happening, though. I'm sure, still with sure. you generally. The technical specifics, I think, were a little over my head, to be honest with you. Oh, they're way over my head. So yeah. there are some pretty good analogies. But then like every analogy, there was someone in the comments being like, well, in reality, that's not real because blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh, OK, there's a lot of good reading out there. But just know that there's these people out there and their sole goal is to mine and it's to basically validate the transactions and be the first to do it and get paid. Okay, got it. Kind of. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I got it. (laughs) But this is the part I thought was pretty interesting. So a miner who validates one block gets 6.25 Bitcoins, which at the current value as of recording is worth $225,000. That's just insane to me. Isn't that a lot of money? So much money. So here's where it gets a little wacky to me. These codes, this special code to mine, it's getting increasingly more difficult to get to the right answer. As more mining happens and as we get closer and closer to the maximum number of Bitcoin, which we're going to talk about, okay, it gets exponentially harder to basically get to the right answer. So it takes more and more computing power to crunch to get as close to that code as you possibly could. They put it in terms of this. When Bitcoin first came out back in 2008, it took a level effort of one to validate one block. Okay. Now... In 2021, it takes a level of effort of 13 trillion to validate one block. Okay, I was like, thought you were going to say 20, 50. No, 13 trillion. So is anyone even mining anything then? Yes, people are definitely mining a lot. And it takes a lot of computing power, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Okay. All right. Wow. So the dude that made Bitcoin, he put out this Bitcoin protocol, and he said that the total number of Bitcoins will be capped at 21 million. The most ever Bitcoin that will ever be out there will be 21 million. As of December 2020, approximately 88.5% of the total Bitcoin supply has been mined. Wow, that's a lot. Right. So in the, well, I guess that's 12 years, 88.5% is mined. But listen to this. Because the effort gets harder and harder and harder and harder as they mine more, they're not expected to completely mine out of Bitcoin until the year 2140. Wow. Ali, we're not going to be able to see the end of Bitcoin. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's going to be so far away. I'd be a hundred and... 60 years old. Oh, well, I mean, let's hope medical science just advances us quickly. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's going to take a while to get to the 100%. But it's just it's incredible to me to think that it's going much, much harder to, to mine these things. Yeah. And then what happens when they're gone? So I think that's one of the whole things that's driving the price of Bitcoin up. It's a supply and demand thing, right? Mm-hmm. So as more and more gets mined, less future Bitcoin is available, which creates rarity or scarcity. And as long as the demand stays, that drives price up. Right. So the other thing that's kind of interesting is that the the rate that which you receive for mining per block, it halves, it has a half-life. So it used to be 13 Bitcoin. 
coins. And before that, it was 26 bitcoins. But it gets halved as they mine more coins. The return, the bitcoin return per mine goes down into the future. But the idea is because of the scarcity and the fewer remaining coins, that's going to drive the price up. So you might get more for your money. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But so when all the bitcoins are out there and they're all owned, is it then just the cool thing to have a bitcoin or part of a bitcoin? I guess. I don't know. We're not going to be here to find out what happens. Yeah, I guess it's not our problem. Just like we started at the beginning of this conversation, tomorrow, everyone could be like, Bitcoin, it's worth nothing. And it could crash and it, you know, could be worth nothing. Yeah, that's true. It's true. I mean, the Dogecoin, it just it blew up in popularity. But is it really worth as much as people say it's worth? But I don't know. I had to look up the mean, so obviously not worth anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the last things I wanted to talk about when the whole crypto conversation is this idea that it's going to take way more computing power to continue to mine, specifically Bitcoin, but really any cryptocurrency that involves mining, it takes a lot of computing power. What they have are these like mining pools where there's people, corporations or who knows what, that are gathering resources and kind of pulling all their PC computer power together to work on this mining. And it takes more and more people and more and more resources and more and more technology to solve and get there to be there first, right? Mm -hmm. So this is where it gets like kind of like, okay, that was for those of you that because this is a podcast that was He's doing mind blown. Dan's mind is blowing. So crypto and the environment. According to the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index, Bitcoin mining operations worldwide now use energy at the rate of nearly 120 terawatt hours per year. This is about the same annual domestic electricity consumption of the entire nation of Sweden. What? Yes. So in a year from Bitcoin mining alone, they're using as much domestic electricity consumption as an entire nation. Thank you, Sweden. Wow. Wow. That is so much electricity. To put it into terms that are a little bit more close to what we would understand, because I don't really know how much electricity Sweden uses. I have not been. According to the website Digiconomist, a single Bitcoin transaction, one Bitcoin transaction, uses the same amount of power that the average American household consumes in a month. Oh my gosh. One transaction. I send you a part of a coin, one transaction. One month, electricity, done. Wow. This is where it's kind of silly. One Bitcoin transaction is responsible for roughly a million more times carbon emissions than a single Visa transaction. A million. It's a lot. That's so much. It can't be good. That's so much. No, that's so bad. So it doesn't seem good for the environment. The one thing that this article, and this was according to a recent article in The New Yorker, one thing that they were pretty clear about is that a lot of people argue that Bitcoin mining and other type of cryptocurrency mining is done using renewable energy, although the exact amount of renewable energy used is just is disputed. So to some credit, there is a, a bit of renewable energy happening in these in these mining operations. But still, like if you think about one transaction is as much of a household like that's a lot of electricity. That is so much electricity. There are many cryptocurrencies that have identified environmental impacts as a potential issue, so they have positioned themselves as sustainable currencies. Oh, I like that. Mostly it just means they don't have mining. Oh, okay. So kind of a fun fact. 
I'm kind of on the fence. Like I, I do like the idea of giving people more power over their financial say, you know, kind of being able to have these transactions without having a bank involved. But I think the technology aspect, I think, is probably over most people's heads, I would argue. Yeah, definitely. This is the most I've ever understood it. Yeah, so. well, that's good. <laughs> I mean, and to your point, like you don't necessarily have to understand mining to or solving for the hash or whatnot. You don't have to understand that to use Bitcoin. Any one of us could go Google for a Bitcoin provider or a Bitcoin wallet and use our US dollars to buy into it. Like, that's not a problem. Right, yeah. That part is fairly simple. Right. Putting it in terms of the environment, that's like kind of crazy to hear those stats. Yeah, that is. It really is. Yeah. But, you know, I think with a lot of things, people are going to get smart and they're going to realize that this is an issue. And as renewable energy becomes more and more popular, who knows? They might have a, a long-term plan. They'll just get a bunch of solar panels, throw some of those wind turbines yeah. on top of like a warehouse that's just mining bitcoin all day perfect do you think we should open a bitcoin mine i mean how much power do you have to have to start mining bitcoins i mean sounds like a lot yeah it sounds like that so i remember forever ago i watched this documentary on bitcoins and this was years ago so i'm sure it's like crazy outdated now but there were these guys who were just buying high powered like you would get if you were like a gamer or something these really high powered you know has a lot of i don't know anything about computers give me a break if i get this wrong a lot of processing and all that kind of stuff and they just would have all these in their basements and they would just sit and mine coins they were interviewed in this documentary. And now that's probably not even possible. Like a single guy to have four or five towers and mine a Bitcoin. Right. That was something that the, a lot of the articles were really clear about is that the consumer entry level to mining right now is almost unreachable. It's a lot of investment to get to the computer power you need to be able to successfully mine. So now is it just, you said, big corporations who can pool their resources are the only ones who are going to have these coins? Yeah. It would actually be really interesting. There was one, they identified one particular mining pool, which was a group of people, or I don't even know, it's particularly successful. One of the things about the mining, maybe this is a fun fact, sometimes two people or two computers or whatnot will arrive to the exact same answer at the exact same time. So the Bitcoin protocol is to give the coin or the successful mine to the computer or entity that has contributed more to the Bitcoin community. Oh, I like that. That's fair. So if you... Let's say you had 10 solves and I had nine solves and we both arrived at the exact same answer to the exact same time. They would give you the coin because you had more solves than I did. Uh And I guess it happens all the time. That's crazy. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to know about Bitcoin before we sign off or cryptocurrency? Um... This is going to be kind of like a teaser because I didn't actually go into this topic. But the other thing that's been really intriguing to me that people talk about recently that I don't really understand is the NFT, the non-fungible token. Have you heard about these? No. In my mind, it's kind of like in the same realm of cryptocurrency. So we might have to do an episode on NFT in the future. Okay. Well, on that note, that's your knowledge. You're free to forget it. Do with it what you will. And as always, if there's anything we got wrong, which in this episode, I'm sure there was, please email us. Email us at 24hourexpert at gmail.com. Spell out all the words. It's also our Instagram and it's also our Facebook. So find us there. Awesome. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to 24 Hour Expert. Our theme song is Lo-Fi World by Ricky Bombino. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe so you're notified of future episodes.